You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, good morning and welcome to our Sunday gathering. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And I want to take a moment just to welcome you. If you're a guest with us, we are so glad that you are here. Um, And for those of you that are regulars, we're also glad that you're here. Um, But we believe that when we gather around God's word um, in a very simple, unimpressive way, that as we sing the word, as we read the word, as we proclaim the word, as we taste and see the word through the sacrament of communion, that God meets us. And that if you're here this morning, God has grace for you. And so that's our prayer for you this morning. They would meet us wherever we are, whatever we're bringing in here with his grace. Now, this morning, we are beginning a new sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And my aim this morning is really very simply two things to introduce us to this letter that's written by the Apostle Paul and to help prepare our hearts for what this letter is going to lead us to, to introduce us and to prepare our hearts for what this letter is going to lead us to. So let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, We thank you that you have sovereignly brought us into this place this morning. That you've slowed down our weeks enough that we could set our attention and our hearts on you. We thank you for giving us your word inspired by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that your spirit would illuminate in our hearts, each one of us, the truth of your word this morning. Lord, wherever each one of us is, would you meet us with timely grace? Would you prepare us even for the journey ahead of renovation of our heart, of our church? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And he helped plant the church at Corinth. So this was a church that he helped found on his second missionary journey, likely around 50 AD. And he's writing this letter, most likely four or five years later in 54 or 55 AD. And we actually get an account of Paul's planting of this church in Acts chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts 18, look at verses 1 through 11. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus, who recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks." When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. 
And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul spends a year and a half. This is a long time for uh, the precedent of when he would normally plant a church. A year and a half with the people of, uh, of Corinth to plant and found this church. Um, it's worth noting as well that although we are reading 1 Corinthians, this is not his first letter to them. There's a letter that we don't have that was likely lost. It's referenced later in 1 Corinthians, but Paul is, has written them before. And we don't have this, but we're going we're gonna to get mentions of it. And uh, Paul is writing this letter of 1 Corinthians to them because he can't be with them. Um, it's important for us to know this, by the way. Um, our letters we get in the New Testament, uh, Paul or Peter, they didn't just write them because they were like, hey, you know what? Old Testament, they've got a lot of letters. I mean, they've got a lot of books. We got to catch up. We're way behind. We got like these five. Uh, we got to write some letters, right? They weren't just writing because we needed more books to the Bible. They were writing their letters because they were church establishing documents. They were planting churches. They were going around, sharing the gospel, establishing disciples, appointing leaders. And in that time, they couldn't just easily travel back and forth. So what would they do in the absence of being able to be there? They would write and circulate letters. Letters that would strengthen and correct and encourage the churches that they had planted. So we get much of our New Testament because of Paul's church planting ministry. So it's important as we read this letter to realize this is a letter written not just in the kind of pie in the sky. This is a letter written to real people who lived in a real culture in real time in history. And every letter that Paul wrote, while it is generally meant to encourage, strengthen, correct, uh, or, or even uh, call back to the gospel, many young churches, each letter is going to have specifics for a particular church in a particular culture. And so we might ask the question, what is the reason or what's the occasion for 1 Corinthians? What's going on that he's going to write this letter? Well, Dr. David Garland helps us understand a little bit of the Corinthian problem as he states this in his commentary. He says, there are letters where Paul is reminding the churches to not disengage from the world. We might think of 1 Thessalonians when he's writing to the Thessalonian church. He's really calling them. He's saying, hey, guys, don't just huddle up and kind of wait for the end times and seclude yourself. You need to be a light in the world, right? There's some churches that he writes to that are being sectarian, that are, we might think in our day, more fundamentalist. They're pulling away too far from the culture. That's not going to be the issue with Corinthians. <laughs> the tone of 1 Corinthians runs the opposite direction. It's one calling the church away from syncretism. That is when the church gets pulled in so far to the culture that it loses its distinction from the culture. So the issue that the Corinthians were facing is that they were becoming, and rather than being a light in their city, their city was beginning to dim the light that God had put in them. And they were starting to look no different from the world around them. And they lived in a culture much like ours. It's actually eerie how similar the Corinthian culture is to our culture, but a culture that valued success, 
valued outward appearance and social status, valued possessions. Uh, there was even an entrepreneurial bent in their culture that kind of highlighted individual achievement. Not, that, not saying that everything is bad, but this is kind of the world that they lived in. It was a very hedonistic culture that valued pleasure. There was a pluralism that was present in their culture that, hey, as long as you don't challenge Rome and, and the divine ruler you know, uh, of Rome, then, then you can kind of practice whatever you want to, and we're cool with that. It's a culture that was increasingly encroaching upon the church, and the church at Corinth was looking more and more like the culture. Now, the whole letter is going to unpack many of the ways that the culture had started to creep in. But I want to give us three main issues that we're going to see as we go throughout this letter uh, kind of come up in the church. And I'd say this first one is really the root issue that's going to kind of splinter into, uh, no pun intended when I tell you it's divisions, but um, it's going to splinter into all the other issues that, that come up in the book. But the first issue is the, the divisions that were in the church people began identifying with certain teachers. Paul gets to this right away, uh, and next week I think we get to this, when he talks about some say I follow Apollos, and some say I follow Paul, and others follow Cephas, right? Uh, others follow Jesus. Like, let's do that one. Je let's follow Jesus. Um, Paul's going to say there's divisions among you, and, and, and this isn't good. Because Christ died and was given so that you could be one. Remember Christ's high priestly prayer from John 17? What's God's heart for the church? To be one. And yet what happened was they were dividing. And they were dividing over all the wrong things. This is going to be a theme in 1 Corinthians. I think I've noticed this as I've began to study the book. But the Corinthian church was, was putting up walls where, there needed, where they needed to be torn down. And we're going to learn in other ways, they're building, uh, they're, they're lowering walls where there needed to be walls put up. Um, that brings us into the second issue they're going to face, the issue of sexual immorality. There were all sorts of issues going on with this church, um, even so that Paul says, there's things going on within your church that not even the pagans would accept, right? There is incest, there is, oh, I'm not going to, you know, kids are in today, so I'm not, I'm going to keep this PG. There's all sorts of sexual immorality, sexual boundaries, walls that should be up and protect the sanctity of what God designed that had come down, and we're allowing all sorts of practices to creep into, even the church, and we're gonna we're gonna look at that and how um, how God calls us to His design of sexuality of men and women in the covenant of marriage, or in the calling of celibacy, as Paul even advocates for that later in the letter. And then, kind of the final issue that that was that was uh, Paul's reason for writing this is there was all of this was leading to disorder in their worship, disordered worship, um, the divisions that were in the people started to creep into their gatherings. Now imagine, imagine one day you come to take communion, and let's say we upgraded to wine, because um, uh, we're still serving you know, the, 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 uh, the juice here. But let's say we upgraded to wine, and, and so people had drank all the wine, like four of us had drank all the wine and gotten drunk, and everyone else is like, what the heck? Like, you just drank, you guys are drunk, you drank all the wine, there's not anything for any of us. Like, this is happening in the Corinthian church. There's people who are taking all the food, they're coming hungry, they're not eating at home, and, and they're getting drunk and gluttonous while everyone else goes hungry. And it's kind of this, this really odd, sick picture of the state of their community and how, what, what kind of church they were. 
Um, there's disorder. There's people who have spiritual gifts, and they've been richly blessed with gifts, but what are they doing? They're using them to be flashy in worship. They're, they're getting up there and trying to impress people with their prophecy or their tongues or whatever gifts they have, and they're trying to show off. Like, what is going on in Corinth? You see, the outside culture was, was misshaping their worship rather than their worship reshaping them to be a light in the outside culture. There was syncretism going on in the church. Uh, it was really their worship services, we might, they were, they're a bit of a carnival of chaos, if you will. And we'll get, in, we'll get into the details of that. But my point is, Paul's writing because the Corinthian church was an absolute mess. <laughs> um, you know, there's some New Testament churches or letters that you read and you're like, man, that church makes me feel like I'm not even a Christian. Those guys are enduring persecution. Look at this church. They're like, they don't have any money and they're giving like all they have. Like the Corinthian church is when you look at it and you go, okay, we're not quite that bad, right? <laughs> we don't have those things going on in our church, right? Maybe we need that balance. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's where they are. And, and here's the reality, I think, if we're honest, if we can be humble, if we can approach this text with some honesty, is we'll see that we as the American church, as Redeemer Round Rock, as you individually, have more in common with the Corinthian church than we'd like to admit. I mean, divisions in the American or the church in the West, check, right? <laughs> Just look at how many, try to, try to explain denominations to your children, you know, and, and what's what. Is that church, you know, all those things. Sexual sin and confusion in the American church, check. Disorder in worship where the focus is on flashy gifts and the human ego pr promoting itself on a platform, check. And in light of this, we might expect that Paul's opening to this letter is going to be immediate harsh rebuke. Perhaps he's going to launch into a blogger's tirade about how they're no church at all and they're disqualified and they should be anathema and all the you know all those things. What what would we expect? That that's what I would expect. A grumpy old man ranting at them and telling us how heretical the Corinthian church is, disowning them, condemning them. Well, the first three verses are actually quite surprising because they're going to set a different tone for what Paul is about to do. Let's read those first three verses again together. In light of all that's going on, in light of the mess of the Corinthian church, look at these verses. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That introduction takes quite a different, it hits a little different when you realize how messy this church is. You see, Paul is a man, though, who is sent by God. That's what it means to be an apostle, a sent one by God. He had divine revelation, right? Like God, Jesus literally appeared to him. He's sent by God, and God has given him a vision to see who these churches could be 
who they should be and really who they are in Jesus. In some sense, Paul knows the true identity of this church in Christ, and he trusts God's power to transform them into this beautiful vision, into this community of light. You see, Paul has been entrusted with seeing the gospel go to crazy, messed up Gentiles like you and me, and to see them transformed into gospel communities. How many of you have ever seen the show uh, Extreme Renovation? Is that still a thing? Maybe. Uh, Extreme Home Makeover, sorry. This, the renovation's our title. Extreme Home Makeover. Anybody seen that? Okay, maybe it's all dated. Anyways, the idea is basically this, that there are these homes that are like dilapidated. There's, you know, mold on the wall. There's walls that should be there that aren't there. There's, you know, it's too small, doesn't fit the needs of the family. Everything you could think could be wrong with the home is wrong with the home. And probably if you or I or someone without a gift of vision would go and look at this home, they'd say, yeah, let's just tear that down, right? Let's just, let's just not mess with that. Let's just condemn it, tear it down. Yeah. And yet in this show, what happens is they bring in this team of designers and experts and all the people that have the gifts to, to build these homes. And what do they do? Well, by the end of the show, there's this great reveal and you see, voila, it's like a mansion and it's awesome and it's, it's just beautiful and stunning. And, and you're maybe in tears and you don't know why. No, I'm just kidding. And, you know, you're watching this like, oh, redemption. Um, it's, it's a beautiful scene. Um, this is a lot of what we're going to see, a theme of renovation in 1 Corinthians. We've actually, in our own story, experienced this a little bit in this very building. Some of you don't know the history of this building, and I wouldn't say it was an extreme. Would you say extreme? Okay, Jordan says extreme uh, home makeover. Let, let, let me just show you a little bit about the story of this building and how it was renovated. Okay, you get, we used to have bushes covering these windows, okay? Green roof. Let's, show, let's zoom out and show the whole thing real quick. Door with no, no steps. That might still be there. Um, you know, a nice little single solo entry door. Again, the green roof was just awesome. Uh, parking lot in great shape, as you can see. This is kind of the building we walked into almost five years ago. Uh, let's go to, that, go to the next picture here. Yeah, there, there's a sanctuary. Again, I'm not condemning. That's different flavor, different taste, but blackout window, you know, whatever. Uh, not necessarily what we would, we would love. Let's go to the next photo. Here's, here's one of the many of the eight different types of flooring that we had in the building. Uh, along with, you know, the cracks, and uh, let, let's go one more picture here. Yeah, uh, you see the entryway there. That's, that's kind of what it looked like. Uh, you see Jordan's face. That's kind of like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, all right. That was the first time we'd actually walked in this building. Um, we have, is that all pictures? I think that's all. Um, this building had many, many issues. Uh, I think my son termed, we, we had a rodent problem at one point. We've dealt with it, so relax. But we had a rodent problem at one point where I think there were so many, we were seeing so many like rodents that my son called this rat church uh, <laughs> for a while. Um, and I mean, this was there, was, there were some issues. And we walked in and we could have very easily said, you know, nope, I don't think so. Like that's too much. But we were desperate. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> there's a little truth there. Um, we had a team of people who saw a vision for what, what this could be. 
and we set out to renovate it through working as with different teams. We put together a design team because we knew as elders, we, that's not us. We need people who have eye for design. We needed, to, we needed a vision for what this could be so that it could grow into something for, the, for this church family. Now, that's kind of a fun, silly example but in many ways, what we're going to be doing in 1 Corinthians is, is really looking at renovation. Renovation of a church that is a mess. A church that's got rats and mold on the wall and all sorts of unholy things going on that needs transformation. That's why we've titled this series, Renovation. Uh, because we want you to keep this theme and this metaphor in your head as we're going throughout the series. And this morning, I kind of want to just do two things, as I said. I want to set the tone and introduce you to the book, but I also want to help prepare us for the journey of renovation. How many of you have, have renovated a home or renovated a, a space before? Raise your hand. Let me see. Let's see. Okay. All right. I think this is going to land pretty good. You, you know that some of you maybe have just kind of jumped into a renovation, and you get into it, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is, this is crazy. This is way too much. Um, if you're wise, you've kind of counted the cost up front and you've prepared your heart <laughs> to not have that kitchen for seven weeks, to, you know, not have, to be sharing one bathroom for a year, you know, all those little things that come along with renovation. This morning, I just want to give you words from Paul that encourage and prepare us for really the renovation of the heart. Because here's the thing. We could poke fun at the Corinthian church and look at them and say, well, at least we're not that bad. We could look around at the American church and say, oh my gosh, the problem's there, the problem's there, this pastor and that pastor, this theology, that theology. We could look at this church, even around others, and say, well, it's those people or those people or this program or lack of this program. But here's the reality of renovation. The renovation I believe God wants to do is it starts right here. It starts right here in my heart, in your heart. It doesn't start out there. First, the problem is not out there. The problem is right here. This is the space that God wants to renew, to renovate your heart and my heart. And here's the thing. Renovation is scary. Some of us this morning, as we go on this journey, if we start to think about opening up uh, the home of our heart, to use the metaphor, we start to worry like, oh, you know, just like when you don't want to invite guests over because the house is messy. Like, oh, not now, you know. Or, or certainly not if you're renovating the house, you don't have anyone over. But we're scared. Some of us are scared. Like, man, if I, if I start to allow you into this place in my life to see the rats over here, or the mold there, or the missing wall, or the lack of bathroom, whatever it is, man, you, you're, you're going to think I'm crazy. You're not going to accept me. You're, you're not going to love me. I don't want you to see this. We're tempted to hide. Just like last week, Pastor Jordan, it was a great sermon to prep us really for this series. We're tempted to hide. We're tempted to run. We're tempted to pretend that, hey, everything's fine, <laughs> right? You've seen that, those people too, like it's fine. Like, oh, you got eight cars in your yard. That's not fine, you know. Um, renovation is intimidating. It's scary. Some of us even are feeling, we're like, no, there's no fixing this house. 
Maybe you feel like that. Like, it's been dirty so long. It's been dilapidated so long. It's, I'm a lost cause. You see, Paul gives us reason to hope. Not because we or they are impressive or had some ability to, to bear down our bootstraps and make the house nice again, but because God has called us. God has called us. He has set us apart. And he is faithful to do what he said. Look at verses four through nine again. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to give you three encouragements to help us prepare for renovation from these verses. And the first one is that God is glad to enter your mess. God is glad to enter your mess. Paul is not going to them because Paul the person decided that's what he wanted to do with his life. God called Paul out. He met him on the road to Damascus, and he revealed to him what he wanted to say. So the words that Paul is saying, we could take those as words delivered from Jesus. And look at what Paul says about this Corinthian crazy church. He says, I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your gifts. I'm thankful for what the grace God has poured out in you. I'm thankful for your existence. I know some of us this morning might trust that God has saved us, but we don't really know if he likes us. We're not sure if he's glad to have us. We've maybe settled for a, a walk with him that's, hey, we'll, we'll square up at the end, but right now I'm just going to stay over here. Paul says for this crazy Corinthian church that he is thankful for them. I think if Jesus could speak to his children this morning through the words of Paul via through me, I guess, he would say, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the unique way I made you. I'm thankful for the gifts I put in you. I'm thankful that you're breathing. I want you here. You are welcome in my family and in my house. I'm crazy. You don't know what's going on. I, I'm thankful you're here. God's glad to enter your mess. He sees and he loves you. No matter how messy. Second thing of encouragement we see from these last few verses is that he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord. I mentioned this earlier, but renovation can sometimes be a long process. How many of you have gotten to the middle of a renovation and you feel like, oh my gosh, why did we open up this can of worms, right? Sometimes when our, in our walk, we can feel that way. 
We can feel like, you know what? If I could just go back to not knowing there were all these issues and problems, if I could just kind of go backwards, maybe that would be better. But here I am kind of in the middle, maybe like Israel in the wilderness, and I'm just like, what the heck am I doing here? Is this ever going to finish? Am I ever going to overcome this sin? Am I ever going to heal from this wound? And Paul wants to remind you of something. That God will sustain you till the end. And he will enable you to stand guiltless in the day of judgment. He's not talking to First Church of Have It All Together here. He's talking to the crazy Corinthians. And he's saying God is faithful. He will empower you. He will enable you to to stay in him, stay in there, stay with this project of renovation. He's patient with it. And in the end, he will help you stand in righteousness. It's part of what we celebrate in the gospel, that Jesus died and took the penalty for our sins so that on the day of judgment, we can stand before a holy God and plead a perfect Savior. And finally, the third encouragement I want to give you is just that you and I were called into fellowship with the Lord. Look at verse 9 again. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think at the very heart of renovation, at the heart of transformation, is starting to take this seriously that the God who created the whole world has spoken out, has sent forth his spirit so that it would mysteriously move in us and call us into fellowship with him. Communion with him. This is, this is probably... The heart, one of the hardest things in the gospel to, to get is that God wants to know you intimately. In John 14, Jesus says that, uh, that, that for anyone who would love God, I'm paraphrasing here, anyone who would love God, anyone who would put their faith in him, the Father and the Son would be happy to come and take residence in them. The key to renovation is not that we're going to pick up a bunch of hammers and we're all super good architects of the soul or of the church or whatever. There's some tools, and yes, those are helpful. The heart of renovation is union with Christ, is a deepening realization that even though I'm a sinner, that's been dealt with, and now the divine presence of the Holy Spirit can dwell in me and in us. And that's what God wants. He wants to know you and me. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to look at his vision for our life and not do it because of duty, but to do it because we say, we, oh, we trust you. And you've been so tender and kind with us. You provided so well for us. We trust your vision for who we should be as a person and who we should be as a church. And he calls us into that fellowship. So this morning, I want to invite you to enter into and prepare to enter into the renovation process. 
And maybe for some this morning, that's as simple as starting a conversation with God. You know, he's already speaking. He's already there. He's already willing to talk. He's, he's, he's speaking all the time. He's always present, ready to commune. The question is, where are we? Where are we? Maybe as we begin this morning, you just need to ask God to even, hey, God, help give me the courage to even look into my own heart. Because I don't know if I can even face what's there. Maybe that conversation this morning needs to begin with, God, I know what I've done, and I need to talk to you about it. I need to confess to you about it. Maybe, maybe some of you just need to tell God that, God, I'm just really mad at you right now. I don't like how this turned out in my life, and I haven't talked to you in a while. The core of renovation is knowing we have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ that his spirit is dwelling in us and that he longs to have deeper and deeper communion between us and him. And so I want to close by just giving you a minute to start that conversation. And then I'm going to pray that all together God would do that work of renovation through his word over these next however many months to renew, to take us from a green roof to a better roof. Now, <laughs> Let me give you a moment and then I'll pray for us. Spirit, you are the helper. And so, as we enter into this, would you help us? Would you help us to begin to pay attention to our hearts? Would you help transform brokenness, patterns of sin, strongholds? Would you begin to do that work in us individually and as a church? Would you comfort us? Would you convict us? Would you lead us into grace and peace? It's only because of Jesus that we can come to you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store. 